0: Welcome to Mad Dogs and Englishmen, a dreary Monday edition, and I'm sorry that we've been on semi-vacation there for a little while. Uh, the fact is that uh, our Englishman was was out sick for a bit, and it just wouldn't be the same doing the podcast uh, without that uh, that accent that gets so much mockery from his enemies on Twitter. But Charlie is back in the house, which is uh, always a good thing, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about the NRA today and their opposition to the current nominee for uh, Surgeon General? Surgeon General,
1: yeah. Well, my issue here is that I think one can oppose a Surgeon General for whatever reason, and one can like or dislike the NRA's stance on this gentleman uh, in question. Now, they oppose him. They oppose him because they think he's a gun grabber. They oppose him because he's gone on record saying that guns are a national health scandal in the mould of cancer and so on, and they uh, oppose him to the extent that they're going to score the vote. But it just fascinated me reading these stories this morning and, and looking at some of the coverage on, say, CNN, the way in which the NRA's opposition to him and to anything is presented. It's always, well, the NRA's killing this guy. Look at the disgraceful, insidious NRA opposing this guy. Well, look at the overly powerful Influential NRA. The NRA is a, an advocacy organization. Whether you love it or loathe it, it really only does one thing, which is to tell people how politicians vote and distribute money doing that. And really, if you're irritated by its power, then you're irritated by the American people at the root of it, because the NRA in this case is going to stand up and say, this person voted this way for this guy. And the only way that that will have any actual, if real-world effect is if American voters say, oh, in which case, I will vote them out of office then. Yeah. If the American people don't care, if they say, so what? If the American people say, well, I don't particularly care what the National Rifle Association thinks um, in comparison to my politicians' vote, then nothing would happen.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing to me about the NRA is it's kind of, uh, even though it's held up as being you know, evil and uh, the model of nefarious influence in politics. It's really the model of what you want an advocacy organization to be like. Uh, you read about the NRA, and you would get the impression that they have a lot of influence because they throw around a lot of money in politics and elections and things. But if you look at their actual spending, it's not very much. They're not even in the top 200. Think, not top Not the I mean, top 200, no. yeah. Uh, thank you for pulling that number out because I wasn't going to remember <laughs> it, um, even though I wrote about it a few months ago. But what they are is a popular, focused, and very, very well-organized grassroots organization with chapters all over the place and members who are active that they communicate with and who really care about their issue. I mean, if you're going to have a free society with democratic institutions, it's exactly the sort of organization you want. And, of course, the problem with the NRA is that it's effective. And when you're effective like that, then, of course, you have to become... uh, the poster child for evil. You have to become a Goldstein.
1: Right. And I think, i think just before we move on, I would say, I think this is really the point here, is that I absolutely understand why people who don't like firearms, who don't think the Second Amendment protects an individual right, who want stricter gun control, who want the federal government more involved, I understand why they loathe the NRA. I, I empathize with that. I understand also uh, why, peop- why people who think that the NRA lies, for example, would be angry with the NRA. What I cannot understand is the preponderance of hatred towards the NRA doing its job, because it really only has two sources of power. One is the Constitution, so change it, and the other is the people. You can't change them.
0: <laughs> well, we're in the process of trying to do that. I no. think we call that comprehensive immigration <laughs> reform. Uh, what's the, who is what's the... No, dissolve the parliament, dissolve the people, and elect anyone? Uh, Oh, uh, was it uh, Brecht? Was that Brecht? It's Brecht, I think, yeah. I can't remember who that was originally. But the NRA is not the only organization that gets this kind of treatment. Uh, Harry Reid, the uh, majority leader in the Senate, has been giving a series of silly and emotional and vitriolic speeches having to do with Charles and David Koch uh, to great philanthropists whose name is on all sorts of things here around New York, including a new hospital wing that uh, was a source of some protest when they decided to uh, to fund it. And the Kochs have become, interestingly, uh, you know, the face of evil as far as the, the left is concerned. I think we sometimes read too much into the, uh, you know, Saul Alinsky rules for radicals personalized it thing. But this is certainly an example of that where, um, because they are a couple of rich guys with a few billion dollars between the two of them, and they run a company that's involved in oil and energy and such things, although other stuff too, and they are just, they're a name to conjure with, is Mm -hmm. is what they've become. And, uh, of course, people, most people you hear the name of, well, the Koch brothers, they think sort of, you know, up and down the line right wing, and their politics are actually quite a bit different than that. Um, They're, you know, much more uh, libertarian- especially on things like gay marriage and drug policy and things like that, but they are just sort of taken as the face of of right-wingery.
1: Yeah, and they gave $10 million each, I think it was reported, to the ACLU, and that always cracks me up because you always hear that the Cokes are trying to buy the country. And they're trying to change policy. This sinister small group can do what no ordinary citizen can because of the money involved. How dare they try and change this regulation? How dare they try and change that tax regime? How dare they go after Obamacare? I have never heard a Democrat stand up in my life and say, look at these shadowy brothers funding the ACLU to fight the Patriot Act. (laughs) But that is what they did.
0: You know, and they, and they fund a lot of organizations, those organizations make grants, and there's this sort of, you know, concept of pollution that if you've ever, you know, given a speech that you were paid for at some coke affiliated group, then you're just, you know, you're a puppet of the Koch regime. And I guess what I was reading, was it Mary Landro? Uh, who you know at some point you know got some grant or did something with some coke affiliate order organization? Maybe it's fifty thousand dollars. I don't know something like that. But you're not going to hear this Democratic senator, no. uh, you know, described as a uh, as a pawn of the uh, evil, wicked uh, coke conspiracy.
1: No, I think one of the things it's worth saying about the degree to which the coke obsession has got silly is that we are no longer talking about mm-hmm. Harry Reid making a speech on the Senate floor progress, putting Koch in headlines. The New York Times reported last week that the Koch brothers are to be a centerpiece of the Democrats' 2004 campaign across the country in almost every race, a deliberate attempt to tie Republican candidates. And in fact, any anti-Obama sentiment to the Koch brothers will be the Democrats' big idea for 2014 that really does take this out of a legitimate criticism of say money in politics uh, of say the brothers in particular of say their ideas and into your Orwellian Emmanuel Goldstein territory in which they become the face of evil they are the personification of what's wrong with America and Harry Reid really has started to get there himself sort of setting an overture for this by saying they're evil they're un-American
0: and so on words that really go too far can you imagine if george w bush had denounced his political opponents as un-american uh at some official function i mean we would not have heard the end of angst and wailing there would have been a whole wagner opera of dismay at uh at the the sound of those words but you and cherry reed can do it And it's the Koch brothers because they're evil and no one says anything.
1: Yeah, and especially given that the Democrats have their own billionaires. Now, I'm personally not particularly worried about money in politics. There's two reasons for it. Firstly, at the end of the day, being a libertarian sort, I think if people wish to spend their money advocating for public policy, that is their lookout. I honestly believe that it's speech. We can argue over that. But i don't take a philosophical uh, you know objection to this, secondly, i don't think it works if you look at money in politics, the return on it is extremely low in general, so you know at, at, at its root, this doesn't bother me, but the Democrats have their own guy I mean they just announced it's it's bizarre to watch these two things happen at the same time as the Koch brothers have been have been uh, coming to the fore in democratic rhetoric. Tom Steyer, this hedge fund billionaire, has pledged to spend $100 million this year electing Democrats that will do something about climate change to the extent that the Senate was effectively rented out overnight. And I praise the Democrats for standing up for what they believe, but nevertheless, the, the, the timing is more than coincidental. This guy announces it and suddenly 30s of them are talking about it overnight. The hypocrisy there is astounding.
0: Yeah, and I think that, uh, well, since we're talking about both organizations, I mean, if you look at what the Cokes have done over the years. And I used to work for a coke affiliated group called the Institute for Humane Studies. I guess Charles Koch was on our board there. And during the entire time I worked there as the head of a department, I got not one piece of communication from <laughs> Coke Industries or the Coke Brothers or anything else. I mean, they are... Uh, they play a different sort of game, I think, than people, people really think. It's not, you know, the sort of top-down
1: yeah.
0: uh, kind of thing. But if you compare the success they've had, which has been limited, to say the best, it's not like we're on a, a real libertarian uh, slope in our politics right now, versus the success the NRA has had. I think what that really shows is that there are two things that matter a lot, one of which is organization at the ground level, and the other, which is a related idea, is having ideas and policies that people actually really care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's famously hard to organize libertarians to do anything. It's sort of the <laughs> nature of the problem. Uh, I think it was David Friedman who once said that there may be two libertarians who agree on everything, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> and, uh, which I think was, uh, was a great line. But the other thing is that, of course, um, you know, the sort of general set of ideas that we talk about when we talk about the libertarian view of the world. Um, you know, having to do with free markets and gains from trade and comparative advantage and all that. They're ideas that take a little work and uh, they take a little reading uh, to get and uh, as opposed to, well, we want to give people free healthcare, which seems right. self-evidently good, or we want to spend more money on schools, which seems self-evidently good. So there's not that sort of inherent appeal, I think, in, in libertarian ideas. Whereas I have a gun, I like guns, I like my gun rights, I want to be able to defend my family, I want to be able to defend myself, I want to be able to do whatever else it is I do with guns. I think that, um, you know, guns are a concrete thing. You've got it, you know, well, we're in New York City, so not on your person (laughs) yet, Uh, we'll work on that. But, you know, you've got them in your home, you know, your granddad had them, and people have a certain, you know, emotional connection to that that they don't have with things like free trade. And so it's much more difficult, I think, to get those uh, ideas out there no matter how much money you have. And that's why I'm with you. I don't worry so much about our uh, hedge fund billionaire climate change Good guy, because nobody cares about it. Um, now, they maybe they're right that people should care about it, but there's a reason you're not seeing you know, the Democrats introducing legislation on this and really pushing for it. There aren't people out in the streets uh, demanding that we change things having to do with global warming, except in places like Berkeley and Austin and, uh, you know, a few other sort of hippie dirtbag redoubts. Uh, but people really will come out for things like gun rights. Um, people really will come out for some other things related to uh, to those issues. And so I guess that's a lesson for people on our side is that we have to uh, do a better job of connecting with people on the stuff that they actually feel strongly enough about to take political action, which isn't 99% of the issues.
1: No. And on your, what I would call the second instinct, I, I always thought in England that the, the left largely pandered to what I would call the first instinct and you just put it well, wow, which is, well, there's a guy over there and he's starving. What should we do? And, and the first instinct is to say, give him food. Now, as an individual, that is the thing you should do. (laughs) If you see someone starving, you should give them food. But as a society, just endlessly giving somebody food is not always the best way to deal with it. Um, And yet that's very difficult to explain to somebody because you look heartless. You have to sort of go through, well, there are other ways. Maybe we could try and get him a job. Maybe we could train him. Maybe he should be moving to where there are jobs, and so on and so forth. And that's the second instinct. And you really see this with something like the minimum wage, where if you say to somebody, well, should we raise a minimum wage? The vast majority of Americans say, yes, we should. Yeah. We should give people more money. Percent, is it something? something like that. And so Obama knows very well when he stands up and says, you know, give America a raise, that people are going to clap. But it's interesting. Reason did a poll recently where they found that if they add the follow-up question, you know, do you support a minimum wage wage raise? That's a tongue twister. Do you support a minimum wage raise that will cost jobs? people say, oh, no, and the number goes down hugely. And again, you have to get to the second question. Which is the only
0: kind of minimum wage increase there is. You know, we got into that a little bit today in today's editorial uh, about the recent criticism of Paul Ryan and his remarks on the the welfare state. And if you have a very shallow understanding of how these things work, then Ryan seems like a monster, obviously, Uh because he's against programs for the poor and against programs for people who are hungry and that sort of thing but if you understand where ryan's really come from which is that the net effect of the welfare state and these various programs is to create mm-hmm. all sorts of bad incentives that actually make life in the main worse off worse for poor people than it would be otherwise or at least um, imposes serious social and economic costs on them then it becomes a very different sort of conversation yeah but you know that's something we've been trying to explain to the electorate for well, see, so we founded in 1957 and uh, going on for a while. And I don't think we're making much progress on that, I'm afraid. I'm afraid
1: not. Well, we'll keep trying. Yeah, indeed. Talk to
0: you tomorrow.